When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Football Social Daily with German Doner Kebab. Now 40 restaurants across the UK. Find out where at germandonerkebab.com. Hello, happy Valentine's Day. This is Football Social Daily, the only daily podcast giving you nothing but the very latest Premier League news and opinion. It's a very loved up feeling in the Sports Social Studio today. I'm Stop Jim saying Salveson. this. What? It's, it, what? What are people going to think? It's loved up. It's, it's, a, a, it's a very yeah. serious yeah. podcast, Except this. It. That's Marley Anderson, who is today wearing nothing but a pair of leather Y-fronts. Squirting <laughs> cream on his nipples as we speak. <laughs> on the other side, naked as the day was born, apart from a very fetching bow tie, looking very good, is Fergal Brennan. Hello, boys. Hello. Hi. Take the rose out of your mouth before you speak, Marley. <laughs> today on the podcast, it's Valentine's Day, but there is one footballer who is spending the day alone. That is Odeon Ingalo, who has been training alone ahead of Manchester United's clash with Chelsea this weekend because of fears over the coronavirus. Does that limit his chances of hitting the ground running and solving United's goal-scoring problems? We'll talk about that shortly. Nuno Espirito has done wonders at Wolves, but it would appear the club are reluctant to give the Portuguese a new deal. We'll discuss why that could be shortly. And Pep Guardiola has said he might be sacked if his Manchester City team lose to Real Madrid in the Champions League last 16. Is he feeling the pressure at the Etihad Stadium. But first, as it's Valentine's Day, we're going to talk football's greatest partnerships, the bromances that have lit up the league. We're going to sprinkle these through the podcast today, like rose petals. We're not going to do them all at once. So we're going to take it in turns to come up with our nominations for the best partnerships in football. And Marley, you can start with this one. Who is your ultimate footballing Premier League partnership? Uh, mine is a slightly different one, so they didn't actually play together on the pitch, but they okay. had a very good relationship, which was Nico Crankjar and Harry Redknapp. Oh, oh, Nico, yeah. oh, Nico, love Nico. I think that's a real one-way relationship, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, how many times did he sign? Was it three times through his yeah. career he signed? Well, there were a few players that Redknapp would go to again and again. Crouchy, yeah, yeah. would be one. Well, one of my other one of my other suggestions was going to be uh, Defoe and Crouch as the big man little man partnership yeah. up front. Um, but yeah, Redknapp and Crancher, you you just know that when Redknapp's going somewhere, Nico's usually on a free because nobody else really rates him after he hit sort of 28, yeah. 29. And Redknapp was like, yeah, I'll have him again. I mean, right, it worked last time, it's fine. It was a, a popular partnership and it was a relationship that stood the test of time and stood the test of different clubs. Was it a successful partnership? Did Crancher work for Redknapp? Uh, it was about as successful, successful as... I th- thought it would be <laughs> as in two like he's, he wasn't the best player he wasn't playing for the best team wasn't playing for the best manager so you kind of got what you've expected out <laughs> lived of it, up to expectations fair enough yeah. right we'll have a few more footballing partnerships a little bit later but first let's talk about the love affair between Wolves and Nuno Espirito Sancho at Wolverhampton Wanderers Nuno has been talking about his contract he said that the club is his life but There is no talk currently of a new deal being put on the table. He has got a deal that runs until the summer of next year. So any talk of a new contract now feels a little bit premature anyway, doesn't it? 
Yeah, but I think the way a lot of clubs operate now is they want to get these things done and dusted before it becomes an issue further down the line. We've seen it with Rodgers and Jurgen Klopp in the last few months. The clubs have recognised the jobs the managers are doing and look to address it. And I think this is obviously going to roll and roll until he either leaves the club or signs a new deal. But this is something definitely to keep an eye on because Nuno Santos will probably be looking at those examples. Brendan Rodgers is probably the the best example to compare himself with where Leicester are and where, where he is. And he'll go, well, why are the club not looking to make a bit of a statement here? You know, we've all seen the Twitter post, you know, 2025 booming behind him mm. and that kind of thing. Um, so this is definitely something to keep an eye on. I mean, obviously the club don't want to lose him, but they might look to play a little bit of a hardball in the next couple of months, maybe put a little bit of pressure on him in terms of qualifying for the Europa League. I don't think that's a good way of going about things, but definitely one to keep an eye on. You'd be surprised. I mean, he feels like he deserves like a 10-year contract to me from what he's done at Wolves because surely he has exceeded the expectations at that football club. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, the the sort of strange way that they that Wolves operate <coughs> with um, the heavy Portuguese connection, you'd think the one guy that holds all that together is the yeah. is the manager. So if you look it at... It feels very much like his project, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's... Um, I mean, George Mendes is obviously like the one that's uh, orchestrated this... This Portuguese contingent coming in, like Neves and Moutinho and all these uh, kind of players, Pedense and Patricio and all the rest of them. But if you took the manager out of that and you didn't, and you placed him with like another guy who wasn't like, let's say, an Italian manager or something, it does it does it work as well? Because the reason they've came to the club is to play with the Portuguese manager and Portuguese players and and have that sort of set style. So if you're going to disrupt that by by not giving him a a new contract, um, well, quickly, then it seems a bit of a shooting yourself in the foot, really. But I, was, I think they'll still give him one. Yeah, well, it's whether it's anyone else comes in beforehand, isn't it? Because well, I that's think, the thing. The doors open. The doors ajar, isn't it now? Well, that's so. what it, it's. That, I was looking at this story earlier, and I couldn't work out whether it was one of three things. A, he wants to sign a long-term deal, and he wants that deal in place now, so he's choosing to bring it to the forefront. Yep. B. He wants someone to come in for him and maybe make an offer and he's going, I want I want the next step, so I want people to know that I'm not tied to a long-term deal at Wolves and thus the uh, compensation that will be paid isn't going to be huge. Or the third option is that we're in the middle of the winter break and this was an offhand comment <laughs> as a direct question from a journalist in a press conference and it shouldn't have really been a big deal at all. It was just something that should have been glossed over. What do you think is most likely out of those three scenarios? Um, Let's well, ignore C because C's the boring <laughs> option. <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's a combination of one and two. Um, for me, the next step for, for Nuno Santo is to be managing a Champions League challenging club, mm. whether that is Wolves and he drives them onto that level or he leaves and goes and manages somebody else. So I think in terms of his position at Wolves, he'll only want to manage Wolves if he's matched by a Champions League budget. He's been given a Europa League budget this season. He's got them to the Europa League. They're still in the uh, knockout stages, etc. Next season, that gap, that sixth to fourth, which is normally cost you probably transfer-wise somewhere between 100 and 200 million, he'll be asking for that sort of money. If you want me to achieve these things, you give me this contract, you give me this money. Are Wolves a club that can spend that? Where's the ceiling for Wolves? I think, unfortunately for Wolves fans and for Santo, I think they're at their ceiling now. Maybe a little bit more. Maybe a bit more of a consistent top seven place. Personally, I don't see them as being Champions League challengers. I, I just don't. I just think the infrastructure of the club... There is a bit of a ceiling. That, that's just football. That's just the way it goes. Um, so because of that, Santos' thing, and obviously he was mentioned with Arsenal, he was mentioned with Manchester United. Mm. You look at a club like Manchester United, the key that Santos has demonstrated so far at Wolves is 
an ability to recognise players to take the club to the next level. He recognised the players that he needed to get them out of the Championship. Done. The level of players to get him into the Europa League. Done. And then everyone was waiting with this kind of strange fascination to see how he would do this season. He's maintained the level, if not stepped them up a little bit more. Mm. He well, Manchester, I, I Manchester United fall need off this that. Season. I yeah. was convinced they'd fall away this season, particularly with the commitments of the Europa League and the early start to the season. They started in June or something ridiculous yeah. like that. And yeah. he's done amazingly well to yeah. keep that consistency going and keep that performance going. So... I don't know. I don't know. I don't see why he can't make that next step. I don't see why. I Wolves, think he can, particularly if they get rid of FFP, which in all likelihood yeah. they're going to. We know Wolves have mm. investors with very deep pockets. They may only be getting thirty odd thousand a home game. Mm-hmm. They may not have the global presence of a Manchester City or a Liverpool or a Manchester United. But why can't they make that step up? Why can't they take it to the next level and be a Champions League team with two hundred million pounds investment? It's not, as I say, it's not an absolute impossibility. It's, these things take time. So they might be able to say to supporters who are lifelong Wolverhampton Wanderers supporters, give us five years, give us this scope to get here. But managers do have a short life. Mm. He will want to get the most what he what, of what he can from his career. Same as a player. If he thinks, I can't really wait five years because in five years' time, my stock might have dropped and I might not get another chance. And I think... His success is tied in so much to Wolves' success. And as Marley said, obviously the Mendes connection and the players that have come in, the only concern I would have for him moving on is how much of that can he take with him? How much of that influence will then follow him to another club? And that all depends on money, really. We had a conversation in the office the other day about, was it Max Allegri that was saying that he wanted to come to English football? Well, it was available. Uh, yeah, he's a big rumour at the minute. Yeah, so yeah. we were talking about where does he go? Where where, where are those big club opportunities? So the same issue that faces Max Allegri, because none of the big clubs are potentially looking to change their managers, with the exception of maybe Manchester United, but it feels like the Pochettino thing's going to be in place there. So where does Nuno Sanchez go? Um, I think there's there's obviously options there, but so many things have to fall right at the right time to, to get these jobs. And you look at the profile that he's got, He's got a bigger profile than Mikel Arteta. He's got a bigger profile than Frank Lampard. But, you know, the sliding doors moments have to happen at exactly the right point for him to kind of step through them. And as you say, United are the only club that you look at and go, there's a strong likelihood they're going to replace the manager in the Mm. summer. But Pochettino looks nailed on. So there might have to be a case where he waits another 12 months. And then also clubs will look at it and go, okay, back-to-back Europa Leagues, probably. What's he done after that? And then he'll get a chance to prove himself. But I think the work he's done at Wolves so far, he has proved himself. So if this contract situation doesn't get sewn up, there'll be teams all over Europe that will be going, here's a recognised manager that's able to take players and recognise you're good enough for this level, you're good enough for this level, and and develop you. That's such a difficult skill for a manager to have. So for me, Wolves need to get this sorted out very, very quickly or they'll find themselves with a problem. Another manager who could be heading for the club exit soon, if you believe what he says and what the media rumours are, is Pep Guardiola, who says he could be sacked if Manchester City don't beat Real Madrid a week on Wednesday. Firstly, can you see any circumstances, barring some kind of massive scandal, where City hand Pep Guardiola his P45? Absolutely not, no. (laughs) Um, It'd be amazing if they did that, wouldn't it? Yeah, it's it's classic him in his way of talking to the media, isn't it? Like, obviously nobody's really putting pressure on him in terms of, like, is he going to lose his job? Um, Everyone's kind of saying he might walk away. Um, But it's just his little, like... uh, What's the word when you... 
like playing devil's advocate kind of thing. Yeah, deflection a little bit. Yeah, yeah and he, he just kind of plays in mind games with the press and he puts, he's very, um, uh, what's the word? He's very clever very, the way he does these yeah. things. Yeah, he, do, he, does, he does it quite a lot. He says weird things that you think like you weren't thinking of previously that normally you go, well, that's, he's just talking talking balls there, but he is clearly like getting rattled by mm. this whole situation of being behind Liverpool and being under a little bit of pressure. And I think that all stems from him not getting the respect that he thinks he deserves well, last season for his achievements. That's what I was going to say, because the whole... He's not going to get the sack. There's absolutely no, no. question. It doesn't. Real Madrid could trash... Manchester City in the last 16 he's not going to get the sack but this clearly shows that it is playing on his mind a little bit not only the idea that he is expected rightly so to bring the Champions League to Manchester City but also the idea that he is considering leaving the club at some point that it's kind of manifesting itself somewhere in his head he's thinking of a future away from Manchester City yeah but I think he's as Marley said he's, he's very clever in these situations of the way that he phrases things, but everybody can see, it's plain to see that all the pressure so far this season is starting to get at him. And not just their season is built on this Real Madrid game. His almost entire tenure at Manchester City is on this Real Madrid game, or the, the two legs of it, because that was his brief when he came in, as you say, bring the Champions League to Manchester. And I think, uh, to Manchester City, wow. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I think... <laughs> United. <laughs> but in the situation that he's in now, he needs something or someone to light a bit of a fire under him in the summer. It's clear for everyone that City have lost their way in terms of their league form. The, the, the games they've given away, the points they've dropped this season have allowed Liverpool to just march on. Mm. But he now knows that he's approaching a difficult period. Does he stick or does he twist? Even if they win the Champions League, he looks like what Liverpool have done this season has really, really got to him. There's certain players that he's potentially having doubts about. They've had massive departures with the likes of company going. David Silva's going to go at the end of this season. He needs something this summer where he feels, right, I can start again. The concern, if I was a Manchester City fan, is that he doesn't generally start again. He doesn't have a history of that. Barcelona, Bayern Munich, he generally goes in for a spell and says, my time is done, I'm gone. Because Manchester City fans are very quick to say, oh, he never gets sacked. He he always honours his contract, but they ignore the fact that he uh, he does have one one cycle at a club and then tends to leave. He hasn't got that history of rebuilding. No. So you can't take one without the other. Exactly. That's but that's what I mean. Like, yes, he's an incredible manager, but he doesn't have the as you say, the the history of looking at a situation and going, right, this is what I need to do. These are the players I'm going to bring in. This is how I'm going to change things. This is how I'm going to stop Liverpool. Mm. This is how I'm going to address these issues. He doesn't have a history of doing that. I'm not saying that he can't do that. He's an incredible manager. But we've got no examples of him doing that in order to measure him against. He would have expected to come to Manchester City and win the Champions League. And there is no denying the fact he was brought into Manchester City to win the Champions League. That was job number one on the list. The fans go on about yep. they, they want to win the Premier League, fine. But the management, the upper echelons of Manchester City want to win the Champions League. Yeah. But is Pep Guardiola realising that... You don't just need a brilliant football team and a brilliant manager. You also need, with any knockout competition, be it the FA Cup or the Champions League, you need a hell of a lot of luck. Yeah, you do. Um, you need a lot of luck and you need things to go your way in certain times. Um, they, I think they would have won the Champions League last season had it not been for, for VAR. And even if VAR had got all the, the uh, decisions correct in that semi-final against Spurs, 
um, oh, sorry, quarterfinal against Spurs, wasn't it? Mm. Um, then I think they would have gone on to to win that competition. Um, looking at it this year, I think they're in the worst a worse position than they were last year to win it in terms of their squad depth and their experience and just the way they're playing in totals. I'd be actually surprised if they got past Real Madrid. I think Real Madrid will probably knock them out the way they're playing because they're playing very well all of a sudden again. And we know that what they're like in uh, in Champions League. Mm. They've won three out of the last four. So, you know, you're, you're, pushing, right. it, you're pushing it there, <laughs> yeah. Um, but he's just... There's no denying he definitely wants the Champions League. Um, no matter what he says, he'll never admit it, but he clearly clearly wants it. Um, and he's just... I don't think they're that far away from winning things. Again, we talk about how he's got to rebuild the team. I it's not a full rebuild he needs. There's still seven players there that get into next season's team as, as much as they need to get, as much as they get in this season's yeah. team. They only need another centre-back, probably two, but only one of them's going to play. So someone to play alongside Laporte, sometimes someone to be a backup, and possibly a left-back. But they've also got the youth talent and then as well. People like Diaz, who can step into the first team and should be stepping into the first team. Yeah, but then, then he got he, yeah he got annoyed and... and packed up and went off to Madrid didn't he so it's one of them where if you are going to trust the youth and the likes of Eric Garcia and, and players like that and that's what I meant Garcia not Diaz <laughs> <laughs> thought so um, you know Taylor Howard Bellis and all them kind of players you need to have uh, you need to you need to pick a lane basically mm. are you going to are you going to push them through and expect a lot of them or are you going to go and rebuild rebuild the team but I don't think it'll cost that much to to rebuild the team. The other really interesting thing that Pep Guardiola said in this interview with Sky Sports was that he didn't think managers should be judged on trophies. He said, this is a direct quote from Pep Guardiola, we give a bad, bad message to the new generation, to our kids, to just count the winner, the trophies to win, to say the season is a disaster, but even if you win the Champions League, it'll be exceptional. Essentially, he's saying managers should not be judged on winning stuff, which I kind of get. Some managers shouldn't be judged on winning stuff. But... If you're Jurgen Klopp, if you're Pep Guardiola, who's had huge investment in a team and an infrastructure, you should 100% be judged yeah. on whether you're winning stuff. It's very different judging Pep and Jurgen on whether they've won stuff compared to Espirito Santo yeah. that we were talking yeah. about or whoever else it is, or Steve Bruce at Newcastle. Because <laughs> it's just a completely different level. So yeah, 100% they should be judged on winning stuff. Yeah, I mean, he's he's obviously kind of just dancing around the issue that he's like, oh, we might not win anything this season or we might get one trophy in the bag. Let me protect myself and my team from all of this. And I think, yeah, obviously, legacy and uh, changing a way of playing and, and, you know, bringing enjoyment to supporters is something that is obviously valuable. But as you say, particularly when you're on the level of Guardiola or Klopp or Kike uh, Setien, who's taken over at Barcelona, you know the name of the game. If Pep Guardiola didn't want to be judged by the trophies he won he wouldn't have managed Barcelona Bayern Munich and Manchester City simple I get that there are other things to, to take into account when measuring success but if you don't like that then managing an elite level football club is not for you so Pep Guardiola here is just having a little bit of a game there you go Fergal says Pep Guardiola is not fit to manage Manchester City <laughs> pretty Quote. sure that's what I took away from that anyway <laughs> right, we're going to take a little break we're going to come back and talk about Odeon Ngallo who has been training away from the Manchester United first team how's that going to impact this weekend's game against Chelsea and we're going to do more of our great footballing partnerships for Valentine's Day as well we'll do that next on Football Social Daily subscribe to the podcast now and never miss an episode 
Football Social Daily with German gourmet doner kebabs made with our signature sauces. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. It is Valentine's Day, so we are talking about great bromances, great partnerships in football. I'm going to do mine next because I don't think anyone else is going to pick the duo that I have picked. Is it West Ham's owners <laughs> on Valentine's Day? It's not, surprisingly, <laughs> but it is West Ham connected, obviously. Paul Kitson and John Hartson. Oh, God. Because it was a very short-lived partnership, but it was a partnership that saved West Ham from relegation back in 1997 and also kept Harry Redknapp in a job at the time. And not only were they a great partnership, they were a great January transfer signing duo as well. It came off the back of a dismal run. West Ham were right at the bottom Shock. of the table. This feels very familiar. <laughs> this does, actually. I think they won something like one in 13 games. And so Harry Redknapp went out with... 5 million quid in his pocket to try and sort out the goal-scoring problem and bought in Hartson and Kitson. And they completely turned the season around, which was kind of summed up in the very final game, which secured survival against Sheffield Wednesday. It was 5-1. Paul Kitson scored three. John Hartson scored two in that game. And for me, Paul Kitson and John Hartson is kind of code for hope and resurgence. (laughs) (laughs) And two players... And this is the sign of a really good footballing partnership. Two players that were great together in a very short period of time. But when they were apart, when they went and did their separate things, and Paul Kitson was at Newcastle beforehand was, yeah. and really underperformed. Yeah. Uh, he kept Andy Cole out of the team for a little bit, but then he kind of disappeared into the ether. I think John <laughs> Artson went to Arsenal he did. afterwards as yeah. well. Never really ca- recaptured that same form as when they were together at West Ham. That is the, the key to a good romance. Project. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Well, that's the thing. So Newcastle and Arsenal in, in that era were two of the best teams in the country and West Ham weren't. So maybe you just fancy, maybe they just performed better in the uh, sort of rough and ready, scrapping West Ham sides. It just worked. Two big physical strikers. It just worked. And then John Hartson went off and kicked Arl Berkovic in the head next season. That was brilliant. And it didn't quite work out the same way. That is the most... If you've not <laughs> that seen was that... His, that was his mating call. <laughs> Kitson used to love this. <laughs> if you Honestly, if you've not seen that and you're listening to this podcast, just YouTube it because it is brutal. Yeah. It's not a, a playful kick. It's a full-on UFC-style smack I, in I the head. I do think it looks slightly worse because Arl Berkovic had this like long hair, long hair at the time and, and it kind of like <laughs> recoils back amazingly both stayed at the club after that as well wow. for a few months until Hartson did go off to Arsenal so that is my uh, football partnership we'll do Fergals and we'll get some of your suggestions in a little bit as well but first let's talk about the lonely Valentine's Day man that is Odiud Ngalo who has been forced to train alone away from the Manchester United team because of a perceived very small risk of the coronavirus. Obviously, he was playing in China before he signed for Manchester United, which you can understand the club being absolutely super cautious of when you consider, if you look at players as having a value and being commodities, then they have to protect those in any way as possible. But as a club, Ingolo was brought in as an emergency signing. He needed to hit the ground running as soon as possible. They've been dealt a bit of a kind hand with the winter break and playing at the latter half of that. So he's had a couple of weeks training and getting up to full fitness. Although whether he's there or not yet after spending three years in China is another <laughs> another matter. But this is <coughs> going to affect how well he fits into this United team straight away when they play Chelsea this weekend, isn't it? Yeah. This is... Do you know what? The, the way this whole thing started and, and this whole thing's come about... 
Um, if you look at like sort of the 28th of January, that this wasn't even a thing, mm. and we're here on 14th of February, and it's like obviously from where it's where it is to where it's come. If you if you put yourself five years in the future now, and you're looking back at ridiculous January signings, like joke January January <laughs> signings, this has the start of it. Like this has the makings of one of the worst of all time because it's just funny that you have to emergency going by an emergency striker you pick a guy who was okay for Watford <laughs> who's earned who has to take a pay cut to come to your club and then you have to quarantine him for two weeks put him in make him train on his own so he doesn't sneeze on Jesse Lingard and kill him like <laughs> do you know what I mean it's just it's got the start in the, the beginnings of an absolute horror show but they're, 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 let's be honest they're doing the right thing any any minimal risk yeah. You can't take that risk. I, I'm scared getting on the tram in Manchester now in case somebody sneezes on me. And I'll, I'll, I'm thinking, is this it? Like, I'm, I'm, is this my time now? Am I, am I gone? Um, so I can understand why they, why they're a bit wary. But maybe I don't know if they even understand the whole situation because he wasn't even in the same province or anything like that. So, is there any risk? I don't know. They're, maybe they're just being overprotective, but. It's up to them, innit? It is one of those things where you just can't be too careful. Yeah. I have to say, I might be crazy on this one. I think it's going to work. I think he's going to turn out to be a great signing for Manchester United. And I don't know why, because you're right. It has got farce written all over it. But I think partly the fact he is a Manchester United fan and he... <laughs> wants has wanted to play the club for years. He is a good player and he, yeah, he did all right for Watford, but it was at Watford. And you can take a player that did all right for Watford and put better players around him, if we can take the assumption that Manchester United's players now are better than the players that Watford had when he played for them. It's a pretty big leap, I know, but let's go for that for now. I just think it could work and I think it could be the focal point that Manchester United need to get them those goals because they, ha- they do have the attacking players around them. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's any danger that he's going to come in full of beans. Uh, he's been posting picture after picture on Instagram and Twitter of how he hard he's... He seems excited, doesn't he? Yeah, he, he seems like... This is a, this sounds really bad because I don't think he's dreadful. Marley is right. He was, he was all right at Watford. He was decent. But this does reek a bit of a competition winner getting to play for Manchester United. I was going <laughs> to use that exact yeah, term when you said that. Yeah. I think, he's, I think he, he is decent. He'll come in, he'll work hard, he'll be a physical presence. He is quick... Again, it goes back to the Watford thing. That's our only real reference point. He didn't play at Watford and people go, what a player. He was linked with big teams, though, wasn't he? I seem to remember him, do it, particularly his first season at Watford. Because he was there for was it three seasons he was there for? I think it was two and a half. I think two and, and a half left. seasons. And I seem to remember that first season, he scored a lot of goals and was linked with a big move elsewhere. But that obviously didn't materialise and he ended up going off to China. But did you ever hear those rumours and think, oh, that sounds reasonable and not insane at all? I mean, <laughs> I think that was more just a reflection of kind of big clubs panicking because they were lacking goals and he was in a bit of good form. I think he will help them in some senses, even just to have a body in. They're going to have a busy end of the season. They've still got the FA Cup. They've still got the Europa League to to be uh, factoring in. They they do need bodies in there. Solskjaer's had to deal with quite a few injuries. But I, I really don't know what United fans expect from him. And anyone that I've spoken to that is a United fan has kind of just said, it's a bit of a free hit. If he gets half a dozen goals, it'd be it'd be a massive bonus. Yeah. They're not seeing this like a, a Larson situation when he joined on loan from Helsingborg a, a few years ago and helped them to go on and win stuff. This is just we need a body in the changing room. We need someone so that Martial isn't playing two or three games a week uh, in the next month. And I, I just I don't really see this going any better than a real average kind of six out of ten. I'd be I, I would say I'd be really surprised if he gets 
I would be shocked if he gets more than 10 in all competitions between now and the end of the season. Do you think we'll see him starting against Chelsea this weekend? Do you think he'll be thrown straight into the mix, considering he hasn't been training with the first team, considering, well, the first team have been, it's not completely as ridiculous as it sounds, because obviously they've been on their winter breaks, so he hasn't been able to train with them for a large portion of the week ahead, but mm. the last few days he has been training aside. Do you think we're going to see him making a start? Uh, I don't I don't think so. Um, I still think, I think with Igalo coming in, he's, as Fergal said, he's an option. I don't think, even now, when... Man United are fully fit, they'd rather go with Martial, um, James and probably Greenwood up front. Um, I don't think he gets straight into that team. We need to remember as well that Martial has been playing as the centre forward in that team uh, all season. It's, it seems to be where he wants to play, whether you think he's there or whether you think his best position's there or not, that is where he's been playing. So you'd assume that it's Martial or Regalo. Big question. What is Martial's best position? Uh, there you go. And it's more than... Not in Manchester <laughs> would be my answer to that. <laughs> it's left wing for me, but it is what it is. Um, Igalo's a bit more of a proper centre-forward style, a bit more physical and, and what have you. But I'd be I'd be surprised if he started. Um, I think he'll come off the bench probably and um, make some sort of impact there. Right, we'll leave it there and we'll wrap up with a couple more footballing bromances and footballing partnerships. Fergal, you can do yours and then we'll get some of our suggestions on social media as well. Who is your footballing partnership, Fergal? Uh, well, mine's obviously got a bit of an Arsenal flavour uh, and it's two not-so-recently lost loves for me and that's Olivier Giroud and Alexis Sanchez. Um, as you said, two players that kind of were attached to a, a better era at Arsenal Football mm. Club as you mentioned with Kitson and Hartson at West Ham um, and two guys who consistently performed for Arsenal and did seem to really really get on well and kind of the very old school thing of there was games where you'd see defenders you know giving Sanchez a bit of a battering knocking him around and you just see Giroud kind of go over or there'd be a corner he'd drop an elbow in someone's face and say a I, see, <laughs> I see you going near him again and we're going to have a problem um, my favourite memory, which I think summed up their their bromance, uh, not just their their brilliant goal scoring record at Arsenal, was when we won at Old Trafford, and Giroud came on and scored at the back post a header, and everyone was celebrating, celebrating with Giroud in the corner, and Sanchez comes running over, and he's too small to hug Giroud, so he had to jump, and Giroud didn't see him, and he's there just hanging on Giroud's back, and you see him do like the frog slide down Giroud's back. Giroud turns round, sees him, picks him up, and gives him a hug. Oh. Now that is love. Out of interest, Brilliant. obviously you've got a fondness for Sanchez that a lot of Manchester United fans won't have. He's been written off pretty much. It's not really gone that well for him in Italy. Do you think we'll see a resurgence from Sanchez? Um, if he comes back to Manchester United, I think he's he's the type of player that, again, all the pieces need to fit for him to perform. Um, I don't think that's going to be the case under Solskjaer. Uh, if Solskjaer's still there next season, I don't think we'll see Sanchez. If there's a change, I think we'll see him back. And, you know, there's... There is still a good footballer buried in there somewhere. Mm. I think it's a mix of situation confidence that has knocked him. But I think under Solskjaer, no. I just think they just don't fit as a, as a pair, uh, unlike Mr Giroud and Sanchez. <laughs> All right, Marley, we've had some suggestions in on social media. We asked for these footballing bromances. What have we had in? Uh, we've had a few in. I just want to add one more that I've just thought of. Oh, uh, Lee Bowyer and Kieran Dyer. Oh, there my. you go. Oh, my. In Love case, is war. In case you uh, just fancy a bit of a fight on Valentine's Day. That's a, that's a tumultuous that relationship, that, isn't it? It is. A um, couple we had on uh, on Facebook. Uh, Ronaldo and Marcelo. Um, obviously, Cristiano Ronaldo was once... It once came out in, in the last sort of year of his contract that he only, ever, he only spoke to three people. He only had three friends at Real Madrid. Wow. And one of them was Marcelo. Um, and they were speaking 
in Spanish and whatever, and they would have that similar like mentality and stuff there. They were very good friends. Um, I'm not sure I'd have that as a relationship. I'm not having anything that involves Cristiano Ronaldo. Because <laughs> the only person Cristiano Ronaldo loves is Cristiano Ronaldo. You're always going to be second best to <laughs> yeah, Europe. Exactly. Very true. Um, who else we got? We've got uh, Marco Royce and Lewandowski um, from their time at Dortmund together. They were uh, they were very like good friends and they would celebrate everything together and stuff. And then there's this there's a great clip actually on uh, on social media where. Obviously, Lewandowski's at Bayern and has been for five or six years now. Um, but there's this, like, there's a clip where I think it's like it's like kickoff or something, and they they hug and then they go to their respective sides of the pitch, and then they're kind of like looking up at each other and like grinning, like I'm gonna uh, we've got to play against each other now. And there's like this weird little smile thing, but it makes you laugh because like they are just two mates playing against each yeah. other. Roy Keane would have hated that, wouldn't? Oh he? yeah. Players being friendly, Not smiling at anyone. He wouldn't any, be having that. Anything that Roy Keane hates, I love. <laughs> because it's a, a good way to live your life. That yeah, it's a good benchmark. That is, like, that's that's yeah, that's that's how you decide whether you love or hate something. You think, what would Roy Keane do? <laughs> uh, Roy, Roy Keane would kick the crap out of it. So I I love it. All so. right, let's have one more, Marley. Uh, we've got uh, just Messi and Neymar is the oh. third uh, suggestion we've had in. Obviously, there was that rumor this uh, last summer of Neymar coming back to uh, to PS. Uh, from PSG to Barcelona. Mm. Uh, Messi apparently wants him back. Uh, like a scorned lover, he's made a, made a, a mistake letting go. Because um, obviously, as we know, Messi runs Barcelona and not uh, Bartomeu or anyone else. So that's the, that's the third one. Um, there you go. I like that two. one. That's a good ending point because like any good romance, it could have to be continued dot, dot, dot. On the end. We'll see how that one Could pans be. out. Fergal, Marley, thank you very much for joining me on Football Social Daily. Don't forget to click subscribe so you never miss an episode. And also, if you've got an Amazon Alexa and you want to get the latest news on your team or a match report from the weekend's footballing action, just say Alexa, open sports social, follow the instructions and you can get daily news on whatever Premier League team it is you support. We'll see you next time on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily with German Doner Kebab. Cooked to order and freshly prepared every time.